Hi, I'm Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm talking today about demystifying the dark web. It's my pleasure to be speaking with Danny Rogers. He's the founder and CEO of Terbium Labs. Danny, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. We hear this term used so much. So define for us, what exactly is on the dark web? It's a great question, um, and, and to be honest, it's a pretty poorly defined term. Um, I often sort of liken it to trying to define upstate New York, right? To some people, upstate New York might be, you know, anything above 14th Street, right? The dark web is, from our perspective, a collection of sites that, are, you know, for example, may be hosted anonymously on uh, an anonymization overlay kind of proxy network called Tor, uh, there's another one that's a little less popular called I2P, as well as other kind of what you might colloquially call nasty places on the Internet or at least places on the Internet where you may not want to see uh, sort of your personal information exposed um, or, say, information belonging to your organization or your company. So, um, you know, we take a pretty broad view of it. Really, it's kind of anywhere our clients would not want to see their data. And like I said, it it kind of comprises, you know, anything from uh, marketplaces like, you know, what what used to be the Silk Road and then many of its successors, which were hosted on Tor Hidden Services anonymously, uh, to sort of paste sites like pastebin.com or carding forums, places where people buy and sell stolen credit cards. So it's really quite a wide variety of, of places on the Internet, and, and we, you know, try to keep an eye on all of them. Danny, you and I both know there's a lot of hype about the dark web. What would you say are some of the key myths and realities? It certainly are uh, a lot of pervasive myths about the dark web. I mean, it, even just in the name, it's sort of designed to invoke fear. Uh, but the, the truth is it's, you know, a pretty tractable place, and it's pretty understandable if you kind of understand understand sort of the way markets work and, and, and the way, you know, fraud and crime work. So, you know, uh, many of the myths that abound are, are uh, I've heard all kinds, everything from, you know, 23 people control the whole dark web, which is kind of absurd, uh, you know, all the way to, you know, the dark web is many times larger than the rest of the kind of more legitimate internet, you know, which is also not true. I mean, the fact is that at any given time, there are probably about 2 million Tor users, for example, whereas you know, at any given time on the on the broader internet, there's probably about two billion users. Um, and I think at last tally, there were you know about a, a, a trillion or so registered, or maybe it was a billion registered domains. I'm not, I don't remember the exact statistics, but you know, obviously a pretty significant number. Whereas on you know Tor, for example, there's only ever been a cut, maybe a hundred, hundred fifty thousand hidden services ever created, and only a few thousand of those, by any measure, have actually returned any kind of meaningful content. So, you know, it's obviously not that large. You know, that said, it is getting bigger and it is pretty active and and expanding. So, you know, I think it's easy to kind of think about the problem as being a little bit overblown, uh, you know, in terms of its overall size. And and often that's kind of wielded to and and still fear. You know, that said, it's it's large enough that it is sizable and and, and worth paying attention to. Um, You know, another popular myth is that it's it's sort of singularly used for criminal activities. And, and obviously there are a lot of sort of illicit activities that go on on this anonymized part of the Internet, but it's not all bad. And, and in fact, the Tor project is, um, you know, a, a sort of key element of protecting free speech, especially in parts of the world where, um, you know, th- that people don't enjoy quite the same protections 
um, when it comes to speaking out against those in power. And, and in fact, uh, these anonymization services like Tor had a big part to play in, in the Arab Spring and, and in similar movements. Um, and, and the Tor project actually gets some of its support from the U.S. government in, in order to help promote those free speech efforts. Well, Danny, with that as context, what is it that organizations should and should not be concerned about on the dark web? A better question might be, you know, should companies or should organizations worry about data breaches, right? Because I think asking if should we worry about the dark web is, I think the dark web is a piece of that. And in fact, I would say more that data breaches are, are the thing that, that organizations obviously should think it should primarily worry about because we're sort of in an era where it's, you know, no matter what your organization is, if you have any kind of data at all, whether it's, you know, employee HR data or customer information or intellectual property, you know, it's no longer a matter of, you know, if you're going to get hit with an attack, it's really a matter of when. So you have to take this kind of risk-managed mindset where you assume it's going to happen to you and prepare accordingly, both kind of on the defensive side and even on the more proactive sort of uh, active monitoring side. You know, just how do I know if it has happened to me, and, and how do I know kind of what to do and when when to when to sort of kick off that process? And so, you know, I think that the monitoring the dark web actually is a, a key element of knowing uh, kind of what your security posture currently is, and, and knowing if you have a problem that you probably didn't know about. So the ability to keep an eye on this part of the internet, because the fact is, is that whatever whatever sort of information you have kind of on your network, if you're hit, the odds are very strongly that you know some indicator of compromise will end up on the dark web. I mean, in our experience, you know, nearly every data breach has had an element where you've been able to find some early indicator of compromise floating around on the dark web, whether it's you know a, a list of your company email addresses or you know some. Uh, you know, some customer account numbers or credit cards or things like that that have said, okay, there's obviously a problem here that, that we didn't know about. Um, and so monitoring the dark web can actually be a very valuable way to uh, sort of continuously assess your security posture and to get out in front of these incidents as they happen before the damage gets too great um, because the, the data really obviously supports the fact that the earlier you can find out, the less damage happens you know, to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars a day at least, if not more in some cases. And so monitoring that dark web is actually a, a really key element of worrying about and, and protecting against data breaches. Well, that begs the question then, how should organizations best monitor the dark web just to protect their own interests? Yeah, it's a good question because I think there's definitely a number of different approaches, right? I think traditionally this has been something that has been done really by hand by people reading the internet, and, and the fact is, while it's not, you know, while it's not larger than the whole internet, it's certainly a, a, a pretty large space, a growing space. I mean, even on a single site, pastebin.com, there's a there's a new post of information there every two seconds, and so having a you know humans or a team of humans be able to keep up with that kind of volume of information uh, is really just unsustainable and, and it can get really expensive really quickly. And so you know, from our perspective, you know, it's, it's all about having an automated system really kind of keeping an eye out on this space. Uh, so, you know, we think automation is really, um, you know, partly how you can ensure sort of comprehensive coverage, right? How do you keep up with this growing volume of data? Well, you can automate it so that the computers can, you know, it can read a lot more, quickly than human beings. Um, the, the, the other advantage of automation, frankly, is that it makes it more affordable. Um, and, and the fact is, you know, we, we see a lot of data go through our system. Um, 
you know, our, our dark web data intelligence system is called Matchlight, and it, um, it, you know, picks up all kinds of information uh, out there in this big, in this automated way, and, and we see, you know, data breaches, you know, probably every newsworthy data breach you see, we probably see five or ten more each week that, that, uh, don't get reported just because either they can't be sort of definitively tied to a source or, because they uh, they are from a source that isn't you know particularly newsworthy per se, and uh, but the fact is is that even those smaller organizations they're they're still getting hit just as hard, um, and so there needs to be a, you know a, a solution to this problem that's that's accessible to them and and that's affordable, um, so that more organizations can implement this kind of dark web monitoring, um, and so that's you know to to us another one of the key aspects, and to me the the the, the last one really is making these uh, this monitoring actionable, right? So it was one thing to kind of read the Internet and say, oh, you know, Anonymous is going after the financial sector today. But it's another to actually kind of tie it to to your own sort of data. So, you know, w- one of the ways to do this, right, is to actually look for your specific data, but th- that's actually posed a big challenge to the industry because, you know, if, if you're going to hire a vendor to do this dark web monitoring, and this is actually you know, was was one of the original conversations we had at our company, where you know someone asked us to monitor the internet for their specific data, but they couldn't share that data with us because it was just too sensitive, which is kind of exactly what makes it the the thing that they wanted to monitor for. And so, kind of how did we how how do you look for data when you don't know we're not allowed to know what that data is? So we actually developed a, a technique we call data fingerprinting, which allows us to kind of compute these signatures, these one-way signatures of data, and then that makes it so we can program the automation to only alert when those signatures show up. Um, and and the, that way we can tell our clients, you know, hey, something of yours just showed up on the Internet. Uh, we don't know what it is, but it definitely belongs to you. And, uh, and it makes these alerts much more actionable than if they were sort of generic, you know, almost news reporting. Well, Danny, that leads me to another question. Okay, monitoring is one thing. What should organizations do when they find their data assets on the dark web? That's a good question. You know, and and like all these open-ended questions in in, in information security, it sort of depends. Um, you know, it depends on the kind of data. It depends on the sort of um, the, the sort of information that a company is interested in. You know, sometimes uh, you know, some, on one extreme, you're sort of talking about high volume, low value data, right? So, say like a single credit card number by itself is not particularly valuable, but there's such a high volume of them, right? Like hundreds of thousands to millions every month um, being traded out there that you want to aggregate all in, that all in a, in a large kind of automated system, you can actually glean a lot of value from that. Um, and those, you know, that's sort of one extreme of, again, where automation can actually, can actually play an important role. Um, all the way to the other extreme where you're talking about, say, a, you know, a, a crown jewel asset of a company, you know, say a client listed a bank or something like that, that, um, you know, it's a big deal if you ever see it out there. It's a rare event, but when you do, it's all about that speed. Um, so, you know, there have been cases where, um, you know, pieces of, of crown jewel assets like that have leaked, and then the only reason it wasn't a death knell to the company was because the company was able to get out ahead of it and thwart a, kind of a further leak or further damage. And so, you know, it, it really depends on the data, but at the very least, kind of knowing when you have a problem and knowing that more quickly and knowing that internally, kind of before the rest of the world finds out, is really the key to mitigating the damage. And then that that knowing exactly what data is involved is often kind of the most important initial piece of evidence uh, to help um, kind of focus the investigation on exactly kind of what happened and, and, and figure out the source of the information. 
Danny, final question for you. Tell me a little bit about Terbium Labs and how you help organizations approach data intelligence and protection. Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, this is you know what 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 I you know live every day is is this problem, and um, so the solution that we came up with at Terbium was this kind of fully automated, fully private data intelligence system that that we call Matchlight, which, as I said, it uses this data fingerprinting technique to privately scour the dark web and and really all kinds of interesting places on the internet for these fingerprints of our customers' data, and, and do so in this fully automated. Uh, um, affordable way, right? So the, the fact that that it it, it uh, entails or it, it uses this large scale automation is what makes it basically you know accessible to this much larger part of the market to be able to uh, to get a basic capability in this area. And uh, the fact that it's fully private really means we're able to do so in a way that doesn't um, expand the kind of uh, act, attack surface, so to speak, or the risk profile of our clients. So, you know, we really focus on trying to bring that breach discovery time down from, you know, the, the many months, which it is, you know, kind of on average right now to, you know, hours, even minutes in some cases, uh, where companies can find out if data is, that belongs to them within, you know, minutes of it appearing online. So, you know, that's really where we focus because the tool is called Matchlight. You know, we have uh, the ability to focus on, um, Personal information belonging to, client, to our clients or to their you know, employees or to their customers, uh, you know, intellectual property. It's quite a flexible system. In fact, it doesn't not only doesn't really care what kind of data it monitors. It's designed to be completely blind to it. So we really kind of uh, are very flexible in terms of the, the different data types we can service, uh, and we we do this for you know all kinds of companies from financial services to technology to healthcare. So, yeah, feel free to check us out on the website, uh, terbiumlabs.com. You can sign up online, check out a bunch of materials describing uh, different ways you can use the tool. And uh, we think it really um, helps companies assess that security posture continuously and you know, hopefully discover when they have a problem far sooner than they would have known otherwise. Well, Danny, that's a great overview. Thank you so much for your time and your insight today. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. The topic has been demystifying the dark web. I've been speaking with Danny Rogers. He's the founder and CEO of Terbium Labs. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.